Everything is changing so fast. I mean, back in my day, we were lucky if we could get one video to load. But now with the Xfinity 10G network, you can power a house full of devices at once with ultra-low lag. The future starts now. Restrictions apply. Actual speeds vary and not guaranteed. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. With the Internet's best converting checkout, 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms, Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers. In fact, Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash podcast free. All lowercase, shopify.com slash podcast free, shopify.com slash podcast free. You walk on the moon, float like a balloon. You see, it's never too late and it's never too soon. Take it from me, it's I to be. And, and, Kala. and how would you feel knowing prejudice was obsolete and all mankind danced to the exact beat? And at night it was safe to walk down the street. And Lady you can do what, what you, you wanna, wanna do. do. Everybody there's equally kind. <laughs> All right, fine. Fine. <laughs> it is. I, man, I have just, I know that I, I feel like I said this on page seven last week. I have been living in the early 90s, and you know what? It's warm and it's nice. That's here. the way it's you're not, living. It's very upsetting. In fact, I would say the early 90s are just as upsetting as our current times, which I think is well, it's the I same mean, shit. The Jim Carrey cop sketch where he he stops the little boy and takes his water gun from him and and it's like i think you were like i don't remember whether or not that was in living color that was in living color and it's that was so, in living color yes yeah. and it's just like it is on uh, jim carrey on uh, um, cops the reality show where they harass a child because he has a water gun and it's comedy well dude. in living color <laughs> is such a groundbreaking show of a show that is written by black people that is for everyone. It makes fun of everybody and it makes fun of a lot of things that at the time was deemed very inappropriate to make fun of. But this is real life, man. We have to make fun of what we experience because it's a part of therapy. It's a part of our lives. It's almost a... a incredibly tragic that it's almost the exact same story being told now because <laughs> yeah. this time period I feel like there was a lot of um, peering into this issue and then it brought upon the late 90s which is perhaps the worst time for music in history and the whitest Yuck. Um, so we gotta make sure that doesn't happen again after this period of time please no and I, no hopefully... more Limp biscuits. okay that's all I'm saying whoa alright well let's not throw barbs here yeah, that's, I said it <laughs> I'm starting a beef with Fred Durst on this show. <laughs> I how oh you're gonna start it with me. We're gonna go head to head. Wow, ladies, Durst please. to Durst. Durst to Durst. Uh, yeah, I and for me, I talking about the gush for this one. It's really easy because I loved this show me and too. it was such a fun. Like it was like a really like dirty secret to go watch it in my room. Uh, you know, I remember I actually remember the Super Bowl halftime special, like running upstairs and watching it uh, and laughing my ass off, like with my brother while like my parents were downstairs with the adults had doing had eating chili and watching a marching band. <laughs> and I just loved it. And I mean, obviously, it's the first uh, exposure to Jim Carrey. It was the first uh, exposure to gay black men. It was really just everything. No, but uh, it was it was so. But honestly, looking back on it, too, there was so much genuinely funny stuff that 
totally definitely flew right over my the head. The video parodies are the best. Yes, but that's why I think it works so well that I still loved it because then you also watch like Fire Marshal Bill <laughs> and stuff and Homie the Clown and it's so like cartoonish. I watched Ugly Wanda sketches this morning for at least an hour and a half. Jamie Foxx is, Wanda is so great. amazing Wanda is so on funny. it. Well, in this, when we were talking about In Living Color, I was very young when this came out, and so I was like, oh, I don't think that I ever really watched it as much as you guys did. And then as I was looking through things, I was like, oh, fuck. In my brain, I guess I just thought it was SNL or I thought it was Mad TV. And no, I watched a lot of In Living Color growing up. Yeah. And it was something that was ingrained in all of us. And I think because it was that idea of since we were young and since it was controversial, it was the kind of thing that we all watched in secret yeah. because our parents didn't want us to watch it. This is one of the first, like it was like this and Ren and Stimpy. That's a, mm-hmm. I had a different experience because comedy was one of the th- few things I could bond with my father over um so I watched it with my parents a lot That's and fun. my brother and I were so manically excited when it came on we'd both start like doing the fly girl dances with him every time <laughs> uh-huh, and so my mom uh-huh. would call us the fly kids a lot That's in the great. house. That's a nice um, memory. I, it is I have some <laughs> um, but yeah no I and now, then, like a couple years later, when I became obsessed with Jim Carrey, we would they would play the mm-hmm. reruns on FX, and my little best friend and I would watch them over and over and over again. I love it. I, I also did was in the camp that I watched it in secret, and I would hold my knees and I'd sit on the floor, rocking back and forth, going, "I'm a little secret boy. <laughs> Get me with my tiny little secret." Oh my God! Isn't that what you did when you consummated your marriage? Yeah, as well? absolutely. I don't think sure. that has to do anything with in living color. <laughs> With my little bonnet and everything. I loved wearing my bonnet. And Honestly, singing. you would look very cute in a little bonnet. You would look I'm cute in a bonnet. A happy little secret. I just boy. want to put him in a little bassinet. Mm-hmm. I've got secrets on the screen and secrets in my pants. Secrets that make a moist romance. Ooh. <laughs> yeah. Oh, man. You know what? I've had a couple of moist romances in secret as well. So I guess we all have something in common. Guys, I've got hungover manic energy, so you get to put up with that today. Well, I have uh, dental I have dental work emergency energy, so we can make this. I have just general anxiety and depression. Is this? Oh, man, what a trio we are. <laughs> what an interesting trio. We should have like a name or something. We're like the, 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 the soup women. Is this just because I said my new Nick, my new catchphrase is "You gotta be souping me"? <laughs> yes, you gotta be souping me. Well, I, All right, <laughs> I We're am not chugging. Even talking about anything I am chugging a Pepto Bismol right now. Um, <laughs> so, and I have been thinking about mixing it with vodka and calling it the 2020. Oh, I kind of like that. Pepto. I like that. All right, mix me up some. I like that. Um, I also, I really wanted to be a fly girl. I still really yeah. want to be a fly girl. I listen. We'll to, do it. Let's I, do this. I hit up Natalie yesterday, and I was like, "Who can we find to teach a fat white woman I, how to dance to Motown Philly properly?" I can. <laughs> Please, I, I'd love this. I, 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 man, and I get into it a little bit on here. The fashion inspires <laughs> my every single day. So good. Yeah. The fashion on this show and the fly girls on just in the people in the sketches as well. It was something that I had never seen before as a kid because it was so fun and even though in the 80s it had fun this was different altogether this is just with the accessories and the tightness of everything Mm -hmm. and in the fact that the fly girls could still dance 
in those outfits. Lycra, man. Wow. Got to have some spandex Get in there. Yeah, that stretch. Now, I really like this quote about the show as a way to kick this off. It was controversial due to the Wayne's decision to portray black humor from the ghetto in a time when mainstream American tastes regarding black comedy had been set by more upscale shows like The Cosby Show, causing an eventual feud for control between Fox executives and the Waynes, which of course now we know Cosby Show not as squeaky clean, or at least yeah, doesn't really. have the same- Almost like appearances can be deceiving. Yeah, or that they can hide things sometimes. Not that the entire show was, but you know, we all know about Bill Cosby. But Keenan, the Wayne's brothers, the Wayne's family came up in a very different time period than we grew up in. The same amount of angst, still the upset, but in a very different way. And they used it for their comedy. And now people look back and they think that there's a lot of things that don't hit the same way, that are more offensive mm. than they were back then. And of course, it's been 30 some odd years. Of course, there's going to be differences in the humor. But honestly, even they say with all of the the men at sketches that they did, the people that were offended by it, for the most part, were it wasn't the gay community. Well, the men, the men on things was, they were, they were like, they weren't the villains in the sketches. They, you were rooting for them the whole time. And obviously it is a- It's silly. It's a portrayal. It's a caricature of of gay men, but you loved those characters. I mean, I did. I thought they were awesome. Look, I love to speak for the gay community and yeah. I'm going to say they are thrilled by it. They say it's fine. <laughs> I think that it is fun, though, the, the going back and forth, and we'll get into this later, but at the 30th anniversary, that David Allen Greer was like, no way would I ever do that sketch again today. I've <laughs> yeah. learned so much more so from course, the LGBTQ plus community. And of Keenan Ivory Waynes was just like, hell no, I'd still do it. It's funny. Is it funny? You know, that kind of thing. But there was, Keenan Ivory Waynes seemed to be a little bit of a, a Mussolini on set. Yeah. And yes. we, it is. it is something that, as someone that works with my family as well, how difficult that Careful, must be. Jackie. What how- comfort oh, you say. Henry, Henry just you pops up from perfect. under the desk. Yeah. <laughs> Terrifying. I am frightened of my friend. And I'm frightened of you all. I uh I will good, say, but yeah, good. it does seem like he was deaf. I mean, but also, what a crazy job he had to battle to with the censors. To wrangle everybody. To to create a show that was unlike really pretty much anything out there in terms of the content, obviously, there were sketch comedy shows out there, but really was way over the top from a network that wanted a black laughing, you know, whatever that is. You know what I mean? So it's just like. And Fox was a new network, I believe. At that it, was time. A bra- it wasn't even a network yet. It was just like this. Yeah. The twinkle in the eye of a network. And so th- we will see how that changes. They they definitely wanted to be known as the, the revolution of black television, the beginning of Fox Network, Yikes. which it did. It did help by giving, you know, the voice for In Living Color to be on there. But when they changed their mind, they really changed their mind. They really shifted gears, huh? Because they can do that, unfortunately. So why don't we jump in with the man, the myth, the legend, Keenan Ivory Wayans and the Wayans family. It is, uh, I I did not realize he was one of 10 children. Uh, born to a supermarket manager named Howell Stoughton Wands and his wife Elvira Alethea, a homemaker and social worker, and they all lived in Chelsea in New York City. And uh, also, 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 the dad was a devout Jehovah's Witness. Ten kids! 
I yep. I think that and there, so it was, I watched this very in depth interview with Keenan Ivory Waynes and not only ten kids but then what you're about to say they moved into the Fulton housing projects in Manhattan. I was and not so, about to say that. I was about to say. Tiny little the secret <laughs> man loves to put his toy his in his hand. Pants, his toy yes. is his penis. You must Ooh. understand. Ooh. Ooh. <laughs> and then I was going to say that they secret. later moved. <laughs> then, then I was going to say they later moved to the Fulton Housing Projects in Manhattan, where he spent most of his childhood. Yeah. Well, this is not a little secret <laughs> that <laughs> Keenan Ivory Wayne's worked with his entire family, and this was something that they learned from a very young age. He said, we were forced to bond more than most families. Mm -hmm. Beyond just being poor, we were part of an experiment. The city of New York started public housing in the 1960s, and they were integrated. But the country was not integrated at that time. Mm. So my projects were comprised of Puerto Ricans who were brought in from the east side, blacks who were brought in from Harlem, and the Irish from Hell's Kitchen. You had three of the toughest groups put into this housing development that couldn't relate to each other. Everybody came with their prejudices and their issues and their baggage. Every single day you fought. When we first got there, we didn't fight as one. We fought as ten. So together... They'd been working together, and also he goes and talks about how creative they had to be as kids when people ask, like, oh, were you guys all always funny? They had to be. They had to be creative, and they used humor as a guard for them. This is something that we've talked about in other episodes before. And he even says, we weren't creative in the showbiz sense. We were creative in the survival sense. That's really what life made interesting for us. Every day was impossible by the world standards. When you have 10 people, in, a, in an apartment in the projects and a breadwinner who's not winning much bread it's a constant creative way of surviving and so we took all those skills everything from my dad buying wholesale and selling surplus we all had jobs when we were very young whether it was shining shoes or delivering groceries or collecting bottles we were always trying to find ways to survive which a lot of times like this creates a way to have artistic outlet and, and also and, a drive and yeah and producing Content takes a lot of those skills, honestly. Oh, yeah, for sure. And it's that's really what the lesson is, is that they're lucky that they lived in the project. <laughs> because they learned, they learned how to work hard for it. And speaking of working hard, as a teen, he went to Tuskegee University on an engineering scholarship, cool. but ended up dropping out of school to pursue comedy. And he actually, yeah, when he was in Tuskegee, he, he drops out because he was from New York and... He said that he was one of the few kids from New York, and at lunchtime, I was the entertainment. I would do my characters and jokes, and I'd have everybody laughing. He said, one day, an upperclassman from New York said, hey, man, when you go home, you should check out the improv. It's a comedy club. Richard Pryor started there. So he was obsessed with Richard Pryor, mm -hmm. and that's all he had to say. He didn't even know. He didn't know about the improv. He's like, the irony was it took me going 2,000 miles away to find out about a club that was one mile from my house. I went to the improv, and I auditioned. It was like I had stepped into my dream. Dream. And while there, he meets a man named Robert Townsend, and when he uh, and that was when he went to perform his first set at the Improv. And Townsend, Meteor Man, I really want to do Meteor Man at some point. <laughs> Meteor Man. Townsend showed him the ropes when it comes to the comedy biz, and uh, and all, Townsend had also already studied at Second City. He almost got cast on SNL. Yada yada yada. So he he had a pretty good understanding of what was going on. Together, they decide to drive across country to L.A. in 1980, and that is when Wayans actually pursued more so acting. 
He gets some TV work and with Townsend co-writes and co-stars in the film Hollywood Shuffle, which I've never seen. I want to go back and watch that. That's directed by Townsend, which was a semi-autobiographical piece about Townsend's experiences as a black actor when he was told he was not, quote, black enough for certain roles. So it's a very industry speculative piece. Also, and a lot of the people that are involved in Living Color most of them auditioned for SNL and were told either that they were too black forward or not black enough or that they just didn't fit in. That uh, Most of the people involved in Living Color, it was almost as if they were the very talented people that didn't just quite fit in. This is, mm-hmm. in Living Color is the island of the most talented misfit toys. But that right. is what, that is what sh- like shifts the tide in culture is those people who are looked at as weirdos all of a sudden they're all together and then it becomes a cultural shift it's the power of of the the grouping of weirdos it Mm -hmm. it felt good to see it on tv as a person who felt much like a weirdo myself also natalie you said you watched in living color with your father i used to watch i'm gonna get you sucker with my dad all the (laughs) time really we loved that movie yeah i love i love that movie and i I definitely is is a dad watch movie this is the film that uh, Keenan Ivory Wayans makes uh, after Hollywood Shuffle is successful enough for him to raise the money to make it. Uh, I'm gonna get you sucka, a parody of black exploitation, which is hilarious. I no, I, I don't think I've ever seen a black boy black exploitation film before this film. I still loved it, anyways. I, I still remember. I was the, saying this to Holden. It was like my pooty tang. Yeah. You and I'm gonna get you sucka, and then I had pooty tang. Well, you yeah. wouldn't have had any. You wouldn't have had an understanding of that as a as a kid. It just would have been a funny movie. It's just too. fun. It's just, it's just so a great funny. Movie. Chris Rock in there with the one wing. That was one of my favorite bits where he's like, or a rib, that's what it was. He's like, give me a rib. He's like, can I have one? They were like, all right, one rack of ribs coming up. He's like, no, one rib. He's like, one rib? How much is one rib? He's like, it's a dollar. He's like, I'll have one rib. And then they serve it up to you. your one rib. He's like, he pulls out this fat stack of cash. He's like, you got change for a hundred? They're like, get out of here. They just yelled him to leave. The the uh, pimp with the... Um, Goldfish in his shoes that break when there he's walking down the street. There was uh, just so many great, and and then of course the, the the when he's like acting all tough and stuff, and then they're in the gunfight. And he's like, they shoot it, they shoot it. It's like all these people are just like when he's like immediately a scaredy cat uh, and the thing. I don't know. I just really loved this as a kid. Thought it was so smart and well and done. It really and, uh, does yeah. open up the door for Keenan Ivory Wayne's with Fox, which again is a brand new network at this point in time. So essentially Fox's network executives told Waynes that I could do anything I wanted and that's what set the wheels turning. He said, I got a call for a meeting at Fox, not in the film department, but the TV department. They said, look, we've got this new network and we really want to push the edge. We would love for you to create something for us. You can do whatever you want. You have total freedom, which... Can you imagine the excitement of a new network saying, do whatever you want, which of course we will find is a lie. Of course. on. Censor, 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 because they're all liars. Keenan Ivory Wayne said, at that time, Fox wasn't even a network. They were a startup. And I really didn't have interest in that because I wanted to pursue film. But they said to me, you know, if you come here, you can pretty much do anything you want to. Uh, And also, by the way, credit where credit is due. You can do what you want to do. That's why the song is called that. Ah. Is because of what Fox said to them. Is that (laughs) something you just made up? No, actually, it's not. Oh. I think it's a Tommy Davidson's book. Oh. But yeah, this a lot of this was pulled from an oral history done by the Hollywood Reporter. Shout outs to them. 
thank you so much for that. It always makes my life easier when there's an oral history on the internet. And uh, yeah, it's really, really fascinating. They get really open about stuff. And we're going to talk about it. The Rise and Fall. This is only a five-season-long show, by the way. Mm-hmm. This this uh, this whole thing was uh, was done uh, pretty suddenly, and we'll get into why. So well, he- and essentially, what was when asked what his inspiration was for a sketch comedy show in particular, Keenan Ivory Wayne said, "I auditioned for Saturday Night Live and didn't get it." Damon was on Saturday Night Live and got fired. So I thought, I'll create my own show. I knew all these incredibly funny people who hadn't been given a shot. So I went in and pitched in Living Color. I wanted to do my own version of Saturday Night Live. This is also a very interesting time for Saturday Night Live, which in my brain, I remember the beginning of Saturday Night Live and I remember probably mid-90s Saturday Night Live. So at this point in time, Saturday Night Live was not at the top of its game and also especially lacked in and still fucking does lack in the diversity that it should have especially for being one of the only sketch comedy games in town that has been running for so long so they really wanted to come in and explore a whole side of comedy that wasn't able to be explored just yet and of course this would open up the door for you know the Dave Chappelle show this would open Mm -hmm. the door for Key and Peele this opens the door for so many people that are able to as black people write their own humor for everyone. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And uh, yeah, so he makes the pitch and they take the pilot. They buy a pilot based on his pitch and he goes off to get his cast together. Keenan said, I wanted to do a show that reflects different points of view. We've added an Asian and a Hispanic minority to the show. We're trying in some way to represent all the voices. Minority talent is not in the system and you have to go outside. We found Crystal doing her act in the lobby of a theater in Chicago. We went beyond the comedy stores and improvs, which are not showcase places for minorities. And this is what's fun too, is that a lot of the people that he knew and that they brought in, also you have to remember, stand-up and sketch comedy are two very different things. And a lot of these people were stand-ups before. He says, stand-up was our background, so sketches were the first writing we ever did. Ivory Wayne said of his work prior to the series, which was a different kind of animal and had more intent behind it, was more in your face, and the energy of it was a little bit different. So the, the writing of stand-up and writing sketch comedy as, you know, as someone that we, we've done this many times before, it's a very different idea to turn your idea into something that is fleshed out. But what I love about In Living Color is that that energy is brought through every sketch. So it's not just a, and then this happens, and then this happens, and then, then the end. Yeah. Like how UCB teaches how you're supposed heighten, to do Yeah, the establish the game, too. heighten, heighten. Yes, uh, yeah. and yeah. then the end. No, it has, brings with it such a different energy. So... Please continue, Holden. Oh, I just mentioned Crystal uh, a second ago, so we'll start with her. Takea Crystal Kema only had a few minor TV roles before getting in Living Color, but was interested in acting as a young child, having written her first play and song in elementary school, and went to FAMU for college. Uh, it's Florida. the historical black university yeah, that yeah. is in Tallahassee, yes. Oh, it's in yeah. Tallahassee. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Oh. Mm-hmm. And so we were, yeah, we were definitely adjacent. Remember uh, FAMU Homecoming was always this like crazy event. Yeah. In I town. had a great time during <laughs> oh, Homecoming. Oh, please. What'd you do? Moving right along. I'm sorry secret? I brought it up. David I Allen Greer. I have a special secret. <laughs> <laughs> We're sharing some secrets today, you sloppy Nuggets. little kittens out there. Moist relationships. What did you say before? <laughs> moist. So, what was moist? <laughs> 
Something yes. is moist. I just want to sit is. in a big bowl of soup right now. <laughs> <laughs> you gotta be souping me. Thank you for that. David Allen Greer came out of Detroit and went to go get an MFA at the Yale School of Drama in 81. Much more of a traditional theater background for David Allen Greer uh, before immediately getting cast as Jackie Robinson in the Broadway musical The First and made his film debut in Streamers directed by Robert uh, Altman in 1983 and his television debut in the Cosby Show spinoff A Different World as a geology professor and also wins I'm Gonna Get You Sucka which of course led to him getting cast in In Living Color. He improvised with Chris Rock, Martin Lawrence, and Susie Essman in his audition to get the part. I What I do love is that Keaton Ivory Wayne still had all of his friends come in and audition. Mm -hmm. He said the casting was really fun. It involved a lot of the people I knew from doing stand-up in the clubs. I put them all through the process. They read the script and performed. Then they did improvs. Then if they made it to the finals, they had to do their act on stage. I needed people who could think on their feet, who would act and do characters, not necessarily do impressions, but mimic. They were people who went on to become very famous who auditioned but didn't make it, like Chris Rock and Martin Lawrence. But the people I did find included Jim Carrey, Jamie Foxx, Tommy Davidson, David Allen Greer, my brother Damon. This is also another difference as someone that has unfortunately auditioned many times for Saturday Night Live. Live, They want impressions. Even back then, this is when the, the tide of their comedy started really changing, where it wasn't as much, this is like the beginning of the end, I think, and now they're coming back around, at least, of original characters and having the freedom to have original characters on a sketch comedy show as opposed to doing just impressions of other people and that that's what gets you the role. And if you can get on the show, then maybe you can try and do other characters. But for the most part, they want impressions because they think that uh, it's scary to allow people to have the freedom to create their own character. So, yeah, J- Jim Carrey. <laughs> what? Well, you, yeah. you went in, you were only doing impersonations of Bob Dole. I mean, I love it. It's like, remember the Viagra? <laughs> it's in remember Jim's house. Remember don't work? It's in Bill's house. <laughs> and it's in Richard's house. <laughs> Everything's changing so fast these days, and that's a great thing. I mean, back in my day, we were lucky if we could get one video to load on our desktop computer. But now, there's the Xfinity 10G network. That means the fastest internet, with faster speeds rolling out every day. And internet that can power a house full of devices at once with ultra-low lag. So, while one person streams a movie from their room, another can play video games in the basement, while another TikToks in the kitchen. It's the next-generation 10G network, only from Xfinity. The future starts now. Restrictions apply. Actual speeds vary and not guaranteed. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. With the Internet's best converting checkout, 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms, Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers. In fact, Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash podcast free. All lowercase, shopify.com slash podcast free, shopify.com slash podcast free. Jim Carrey was credited as James Carrey at first uh, on In Living Color. He grew up very poor in Canada, and he and his brother would work eight-hour shifts after school as janitors and security guards at a tire factory as teenagers. It's almost like 
Someone wrote his background. Um, it's ridiculously upsetting sounding. Kerry dropped out of school at 16 to perform comedy. And at one point during this time, he and his family are living in their van. Mm-hmm. They were so poor. He struggles to find his footing at first, but he manages to get his impression-based stand-up act over and on to regular paid gigs until he was noticed by Rodney Dangerfield. I love it. Rodney Dangerfield, he, he pops into all these or comedians' early stories is the first person who discovered them, and it's he so cool. He helped out a lot of young comedians. He was someone that was definitely out there uh, trying to help the people underneath him that in the same way that he was helped as a young comedian. And, and, and you know, love him or hate him, I, I obviously loved him growing up, but Jim Carrey does transform his face. And if you watch a lot of those uh, yeah. early videos, even if you go back and watch his SNL audition, which he did in like 81, he didn't obviously make it on. He does fucking transform. It's crazy to watch. Well, even in reading uh, Tommy Davidson talking about it and Keenan Ivory Wayne's talking about it, that Jim Carrey was just supposed to be the white guy in the show. And his his physicality, not only with his face, but with his body, is what helped break the mold of them giving him more because he earned it mm-hmm. because he's like okay I'm gonna be the white guy I'm not gonna like I, he did it in a way though that wasn't trying to take away from the other people he was on stage with it really just amplified everyone that he was in the sketch with you guys like go do yourself a favor and watch the vanilla ice parody white, that he does white baby it is <laughs> so funny still it was cracking up when I was watching it this morning and his physicality in it is just so funny so good so good so he ends up opening for Rodney. This leads to him moving to Hollywood. He ends up getting a set on The Tonight Show and almost became a cast member on SNL, wouldn't you know it? I feel like Keenan just looked at everybody who didn't get SNL and was like, come over here. Why don't you and just so- at least audition for this? Yeah, sure. <laughs> Damon Wayans approached him saying, uh, this is uh, Carrie uh, saying this. He told me, hey, crazy man, what <laughs> what do you think about coming in to audition for this thing? Come and meet my brother. So that's how he gets into the audition room. Kelly Caulfield is an actress who started out in the movie Field of Dreams, but that's about it before getting in Living Color. You're going to hear this for, for a few of these people. Very, very little credits leading up to this. Tommy Davidson. I was shocked to find out that he had been yeah. abandoned in the trash at 18 months old and was actually rescued by the woman who would go on to be his adoptive mother. That story is crazy. And you can see him talk a little bit about it. I think he did an interview with On The Own Network. His mom literally put him in the garbage and like tried to kill him. And his adoptive mother, for some reason, had this instinct to go. She walked by a couple minutes later and this instinct to go look in the trash and she saw his little foot sticking up. Out oh, of the garbage. My and she God. rushed him to the hospital. He almost died. Oh but also God. read Living in Color, What's Funny About Me. His book is amazing. It just it opens up a lot of light of just like how he broke a lot of ground. And honestly, it's he's one of these characters actors that I've seen in lots of things, but I've never looked into his life before. Yeah. And uh He's done a lot. Yeah, well, yeah. just his struggle. He talks. He's very open about his struggle of being a black kid in a white family growing up in the '60s, and like how he felt like he was rejected by black and white people growing mm. up because he didn't really he didn't know how to connect to anybody. Yeah, it's crazy. He he starts doing stand up in 1986 at a strip club in Washington D.C. Then he goes on to win the amateur stand up competition at the Apollo Theater. After which he moved to Hollywood. Davidson said. When I landed in In Living Color, uh, I was a hot comic. A week before getting the job, I had met with Lorne Michaels in his office in 1990 
for a potential SNL spot. He lined it up for me and another said... Another one, by the way. Mm-hmm. Another character in this story we are telling. <laughs> uh, he lined it up for me and said, I don't want a black comedian. Eddie Murphy was a mistake. I don't want a person that stands out. I was confused. I was born black. There's not a zipper Jesus. in the back of this thing. This, by the way, was refuted by SNL. The Hollywood Reporter made it a point to say... As uh, because Chris Rock, Meadows, uh, Tim Meadows, and uh, Ellen Cleghorn were all hired that season, so I guess that is. But I love that Dobby Davidson said about Keenan Ivory Waynes. He said he reminds me of Professor X from the X Men. He said it, he took all of us mutants together and told us use your powers. This <laughs> naturally led to great things. And he talked about the environment before in Living Color. He said it was like a steam pot about to blow because it built up. Davidson recalled the wait for the show to actually premiere. He said, we knew what it was going to do. All the energy was anticipation because America needed something new. Mm -hmm. And in living color was the thing. It was. It really changed the shape of culture. Yes. All the way. And comedy. Do the rap again. Let's say (laughs) there's several different raps. (laughs) (laughs) Do what you want to do. do. In in color. Tiny um, but then little also- secret man will not let her talk again. Tiny little secret boy loves his mysterious fleshy toy. That was the season six promo intro, intro, but the, it got canceled. Yeah, secret boy. Also, apparently, John Leguizamo turned the show down. John Whoa. Leguizamo was another potential cast member. He oh, said, really? I wanted to do it. They wanted me to do it, but I got talked out of doing it. He you been know good. your representation talks in your ear and the whole thing gasses up in your head. They're like, you're blowing up, John. You've got to have your own show, John. you got to do Super Mario brothers John. I mean this is the thing Ugh. and it's like representation not talking about Ugh. another evil b- whispers in your ear is this later Fox offered me my version of my own version of In Living Color House of Buggin which also <laughs> do you know about House of Buggin? No. No. I didn't know about House of Buggin which he claims eventually became Mad TV. This is another thing I want to look into because I've never heard of it. No. Uh, but th- that's got to be very upsetting. That House of Buggin isn't in Living Color. You House should have done in Living Buggin. Color, John Leguizamo. Yeah, dude. Yeah. Oh, he but who did so cute. in Living mm. Color was Kim Coles, born and raised in Brooklyn, and this was her first big TV gig, so not a huge bio to talk to speak of before. Damon Wayans started out doing stand-up and made it on SNL as a featured performer, but as we said already in the episode, got fired after just 11 episodes for improvising. I love this story. So Ugh. he does his men on film character, essentially, as this cop, in a uh, sketch uh, and and just super flamboyantly gay the way he plays it. He does it to the surprise of Lorne Michaels, to the surprise of Cass. If you know anything about SNL, like you cannot just do Improvise. something like that. You can't no. just make a crazy character choice, especially when this is a character that was supposed to be like, probably had two lines. I it's, think he had, did yes. only have like a few lines. He's not, he was, he was supposed to be a straight character completely and instead just did this crazy thing so Lauren outright fires him this is people get blackballed for this kind of thing from the show it kind of feels like though he did it intentionally a little bit like I feel like Probably. he was stifled he's there he's a fire star yeah and it's just like oh all right you want to stifle me yeah because in living color is not live or it wasn't live they did no. sketches but it wasn't live in the way that SNL was so they could go back and change things and do different improvements. Which is also why the Fox censors can go in and just take shit out. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, Kim Wayans appeared in I'm Gonna Get You Sucka before in Living uh, Color, but that was just about it. And Sean Wayans was credited as a feature player 
but he started out as DJ SW1. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, also, uh, Jamie Foxx. So, Jamie Foxx does not end up joining until season three. Yeah. But right. I will say he started doing stand up in 1989 based off of a dare that his girlfriend at the time uh, gave him. So he got up on stage, found that he liked it. One of my favorite things about Jamie Foxx's stand-up especially is that he changed his name to Jamie because women were getting to he, women seemed to be getting more stage time like especially early on like early on because just to make the make the lineup more diverse. So he changed his name to a girl's name. That is that why his name is Jamie. Never happens. That's such a weird <laughs> juxtaposition it's of how things usually choice. go. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's, I mean, I guess it worked. Something yeah, worked. Sure. Or, or I guess he found that female comedians were often called first to perform. Is the clarification? Oh, interesting. Wikipedia, at least. What was what was his real name? His real name was Eric Marlin Bishop. Fox actually was uh, oh. a tribute to Red Fox, the famous comic. Oh, hell oh, yeah. Jamie yeah. Fox is a great name. Yeah, it is it is a great name, and yeah. it obviously served him quite well. Oh, my well, God, so. Ugly Wanda really is. like It is because <laughs> it's so cartoonishly. Every time somebody, she shows her face, and the, the waiter just like, oh! Yeah, they get like violent. They get like... Through. So upset they become violent at how That's ugly so she is. It's funny. so funny. It's so dumb. It's so it's over so the dumb, top. But it's so, so fun. But that's, again, why I think it worked for all ages, weirdly enough, even though it was this yeah. groundbreaking cultural thing. It really worked for people who understood half the jokes as well, just because of how cartoonish totally. the sketches could be. Let's talk about the Fly Girls, a group of dancers that would perform as a lead-in to commercial Ugh. breaks as well as the closing credits. That included Rosie Perez as the choreographer. I want to be a Fly Girl. I'm going to make you one. <laughs> Please, I want to be a Fly Girl. And also, the, I didn't know that it was choreographed by Rosie Perez. Yeah. I had no idea that she was in charge of the Fly Girls. She was the Fly mother? The mother of the flies. Yeah, she, she did it for four seasons. Then Carrie Ann Inaba took over for the final one. As well as having dancers Carrie French, Deidre Lang, Lisa Marie Todd, Barbara Lumpkin, and Michelle Whitney Morrison with Jennifer Lopez joining in season three. All right, I'm going to go ahead and say this. Everything I looked up about the Fly Girls, it's like, I want to talk about Rosie Perez, who did it for seasons, who was the head of it. I want to talk about Michelle Cole, who is the, the, the costume designer for them. And everyone's like, did you know Jennifer Lopez is a Fly Girl? It's like, she was a Fly Girl for one season. Mm -hmm. She's not the head of the Fly Girls. Right. She's not responsible for all of what made the Fly Girls amazing. And even Rosie Perez. So Rosie Perez says, initially, Keenan Ivory Waynes had offered me the job. And I was very excited about it. And when I walked in, the prejudice kicked in right away. As soon as I opened the door, it's like, okay, she's New York. She's Puerto Rican. You know, the girls had all these preconceived notions of who I was and my abilities. And I had assisted... I, and I had an assistant who had been working with me forever. His name is Arthur Rayner, and he's black. He just looked at me and he said, forget these girls. Come on, let's do our thing. And thank goodness he said that because he knew the real me. I was shaking inside and I said, okay, line up. And you know, that's how it went. I thought it's very interesting because even Jennifer Lopez, apparently Jennifer Lopez and Rosie Perez didn't get along then and do not get along it's a now. a lot of times with the alphas, they ha they bought heads. This is exactly what's And Rosie Perez as a way to command her, to command respect. Her fly children? Her fly children was, it seemed, a <laughs> bit of a hard ass. And uh, even said that Rosie Perez says that Keenan Ivory Waynes didn't want 
to pick Jennifer Lopez as a fly girl, said that he called her chubby and corny. Wow. But in a 2010 VH1's Behind the Music episode about J-Lo, Wayne's claimed to have known about Lopez's star potential from the start. I'd been there three hours and seen every dancer in New York, and then this young girl steps up and a spotlight landed on her, and she captivated everyone in the room. And then Jennifer Lopez says, he just saw something in me. He would always tell me, you're going to be a big star. Get Ivory Wayans is not pulling Jennifer Lopez aside. I, 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 you know I love Jennifer Lopez, but it is just... There's a well, um, like a league of amazing dancers yes. that you're working with, but that just shows that Keenan Ivory Wayans is a typical executive producer. Where he's just like, I discovered all of I this. I did it. It was perfect, and I knew which ones were the good. The league of extraordinary fly girls. I do like Carrie Ann and Naba's uh, d- d- story about how she got the part. I got a call from my agent. They were looking for hip hop athletic dancers under five foot seven of diverse cultural backgrounds. Wow. I went in, I went in Right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Very specific. I went in wearing black. Yeah, so Natalie can't be a fly girl, unfortunately. Story of my life. <laughs> yes, I can. <laughs> <laughs> I went in wearing black leggings, motorcycle boots, and a white lacy bra with a black leather jacket. I tossed my Ooh. jacket to the side and walked to the center of the room ready and eager. Keenan always said that I got the job the moment I walked in because my outfit was so bad and I had so much confidence. I want to wear that outfit right now. Yes, me I love too. it. And I think that's how you should always audition for parts, by the way, ladies. Just every just single time, no matter take what the off part your clothes, is, whether it's just <laughs> slam your jacket down on the it's ground. It's me that you're looking for. But it's like it a British confidence. period piece. Yeah, it's like any any piece. It's like Jane Austen. You just know, show whatever. up in a bra. I just love that dancing was something that needed to be included in this show because it's a part of their culture. It's such a big part of black culture and the way that they dance. And I love that like that they included it in, in between every sketches. I love sometimes that the fly girls would become part of the sketches. I love that it wasn't also, I, I know I, in watching it again, I wanted to go back and see like, oh, is this just like, and now it's time for the sex. Put the sex on. Yeah. It really isn't. No, no, it's no. It's such an integrated part of the show. It's not like the fucking, it's not like the Dallas Cowboy cheerleaders or something. Yeah, right. that's right. I said it. Oh my you god. Fight me, Dallas Cowboy you cheerleaders. You mentioned a sport. I'm <sighs> scared of it. Uh but John yeah, no. football. Ouch. Ouch. Help. <laughs> no, they were they were char- they were essentially characters in the, mm. in the show. Oh, and yeah. they were awesome and they each had their own personalities. They each had their own outfit. You know what I mean? Like they weren't just like these sort of vanilla ass like yay you guys are good we're gonna clip for you yeah I'm fucking calling out cheerleaders Whoa. right now so. yeah but Rosie Perez was a cheerleader first and that's how she started learning how to choreograph things I love this quote from Carrie Anna Anaba about Rosie Perez Rosie Perez pushed us hard she didn't know how to pronounce words like pirouette but it didn't matter she had a vision Oh, yeah. um, also, I do want to talk about Michelle Cole. Michelle Cole, who was the costume designer who won four Emmy nominations, four in Living Color for her desi- her costume design. Um, she is currently, at the time of the interview that I read of her, she's the head costume designer for Black AF, Blackish, and Grownish all at the wow. same time. Oh, cool. She credits her late father, Marcellus, for encouraging her ambitions to become a costume designer and work in an industry that decades later still has plenty of work to do in terms of diversity she says he would say you're black and don't forget that but you can do it and there are going to be forces that are going to try and stop you but don't let them stop you 
She even says, In Living Color established a bold, color, and print-heavy aesthetic, thanks to Cole, who often comes up with ideas overnight. She says, I was doing musicals, My Fair Lady and Music Man. Everything about musicals is bright. Bright, 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 bright. Yeah. And even to the point that the Fly Girls in their sleek spandex day glow separates, a vibrant prints and chunky jewelry began influencing international style. And maybe no coincidence that Karl Lagerfeld introduced his hip hop collection hip-hop for collection. Chanel Fall 1991 Ugh. on mostly white models, oh. complete with bold primary color blocking, brashly layered necklaces and off-center diminutive headwear. And Michelle Cole says, people always ask me, did you know that we were going to be so iconic? I was like, no, never. And then she went on to earn four Emmy nods for her work on the show. Cole credits a relationship she developed on the groundbreaking series for her prolific career sense. I always say, there's this tree, and living color is the trunk. And every single show that I've done goes back to a writer from there. All those writers took me with them. She says, referring to popular series like Bernie Mac, South Central, Martin, and the Steve Harvey Show. Cool. I'd never heard of Michelle Cole before. Mm-mm. And look into her design work. She does amazing work. And also, now that it's all come back around, looking at it, it's like, look to it for inspiration, too. Yeah. The pilot included Men on Films, the Homeboy Shopping Network, and The Wrath of Farrakhan, all of Mo which money, made Fox money, incredibly nervous. <laughs> Tamara Rowett said, Fox knew they had something special, but the execs were also concerned about potential pushback from the African-American community. So the pilot sat in long-term parking for six months. I discreetly- But then it still didn't end up, it was still a year after it finished yeah. before they even put it on air. It's crazy. I discreetly passed along a copy to a journalist at Details Magazine. She loved it, got her editors enthused about the pilot, and asked in print why it hadn't been picked up. I faxed the piece to the exec team smart. at Fox, and we got our pickup. So smart. They that? were sending copies of the pilot everywhere they could, trying to get reviews. Detail Magazine writes a review, even down to, the, because Fox Network kept wanting to bring in people to get the okay. They even wanted to bring in the NAACP. They wanted to bring in the Urban League as consultants, and Keenan Ivory Waynes refused. Yeah. He said, I don't want to do that. You can't do I that wanna, with comedy, man. No, you he's can't. Like, I want to kick the door in, guns blazing. If they like it, they like it. If they don't, I'm good with that. I don't want to trick the audience. I want them to know what they're doing. Mm-hmm. I want them to know what we're doing. Right. A quick aside about the name and the song. The name in Living Color was an homage to the NBC Peacock tagline from the 1960s. The following program is brought to you in Living Color, which, of course, is uh, because they were transferring from black and white to full color for television networks. The song was done by Heavy D and the Boys. That yeah, it was. Natalie rapped, did her rapping for us earlier in the episode. We thank you again for that, Natalie. Maybe we'll close out with some more of the rapping and singing because I do love the song. I will so do much. some of the more rapping. More of the rapping and more of the singing. Uh oh, his trunk is it. filled with gunk. I got a little. I've got a tiny little organ over here, and I'm not talking about my penis. <laughs> that I'm going to play. Oh, is it a Just to make, just to really make it as white as possible sounding. Uh, there also was a lawsuit from the band Living Color claiming the show stole its name and logo, which did force them to change the logo because they did. Kind Kind of rip that off. Yes. So, uh, yeah, this, uh, the whole mission statement from Keenan to his crew, to his staff, was to take the comedy as far as one could, as Jackie just said. Keenan said, Barry Diller called Peter Chernin and said, we couldn't do the black gay parody Men on Films. 
he was worried it was going to be offensive, blah, blah, blah. And I called Barry and, I, and said, I understand your concern. Do me a favor, but do me a favor. At least come to the rehearsal and see it on its feet. He said, okay. He came down, he watched the rehearsal, and it was like a bomb went off in the studio audience. People were stomping their feet and clapping and laughing. Barry stood there watching, his face didn't move, but then he turned to me and said, okay, and he left. So we were able to do it. And by the way, even just as a person at home watching Men on Film on the TV, the audience is in was always insane for the for those sketches to a point that I didn't quite understand because I didn't understand half the innuendos, you know. For but sure. Like, oh, for and sure. now as an adult, though, it's very it's because it also it was a lot of movies I hadn't seen uh-huh. as well. Yeah, <laughs> I, I will say as a little mostly straight white girl watching that, it didn't make me feel anything but I. Like liked those characters a lot. Yeah. They didn't make me dislike gay people by any stretch. But I, I just understand it was funny. I honestly didn't look at it as a way that they were making fun of gay people. I loved either. their outfits. I Damon Wayne's little hats. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> it was great. Although I do think it is kind of funny that apparently originally Keenan Ivory Waynes was supposed to be in the sketch, and he uh, eventually gave it to Damon and uh, gave it to uh, David his part to David Allen Greer. Mm. And I think David Allen Greer always kind of wondered like. Why did he just uh, give that to me? I think that maybe uh, I think Keenan Ivory Wayne's knew that he wasn't the star actor, right? And it was right. the kind of thing that, uh, as much as he liked to have control over everything, I think he was very aware that at the end of the day, the best actor should do the sketch, whether whoever wrote it. And David Allen Greer as Antoine Merriweather so is so good. adorable. He really is. I'm actually kind of shocked that they even cared about being offensive to gay people in that yeah. time period because they seem to not care about them in any other way. I think it's in the same kind of vein is that they wanted to be open to make fun of everyone and anyone and that there wasn't that they were like specifically pulling out. It was the same, you know, with Ugly Wanda where the joke of the sketch and the joke of men in isn't the fact that they are gay. I think that that's the difference. Right. Ugly Wanda isn't funny because... She's a man dressed as a woman. Right. It's funny because she's ugly. Right. And yeah. like that, like there is a difference of being mean with your humor and playing the joke. Right. Of it. Ugly totally. people, the last bastion of folks that we're still allowed to make fun of. If you're ugly, go fuck you. You ugly, you ugly. <laughs> that is just how it goes. <laughs> uh, so yeah, th- it was kind of amazing how like the people they made fun of sometimes got offended too. David Allegrier said Spike Lee hated the show. Spike he got Lee really mad hated at us. the show. He got really mad at us because we thought we were over the top about do the right thing. He did not like us making fun of him. People would get angry when he poked when we poked fun at them. Arsenio Hall too. Anybody that we really uh, poked fun at, which I love the Arsenio. Daniel Hall stuff is so hilarious, even if you so don't remember the show as well. Also, some of the like reactions that you hear from the audience is like, who, 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 who? Yeah. Like the whole like thing that- Of course, um, yeah. The, 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 like his lead on, on the Arsenio Hall the show. The dog, yeah. dog pound, what were they called? They I, called yeah, the audience was, something like the dog kettle. I think so, yeah. <laughs> the dog kettle. Either something. way, yeah. It was so bizarre. That was such a weird time period when like that was the way to clap and stuff. Now it snaps so that we don't offend people who have 
That's not snaps. Yeah, so snaps. they snap at the colleges because they don't want to. They want to be sensitive to those that have sensitive hearing ouch. issues. So they ouch, so my they, ouch. The snapping hurts. Don't they what do not you do when do the that? snapping hurts? Don't they just wave their hands or something? And yeah, in there is something. Too? Yeah, there's something about hand waving yeah. that happens. So yeah. glad I'm not in college. Uh, in yeah. 2020. Uh, well, I guess nobody is, aren't they? Anyways, when <laughs> oh, half of comedy is making fun of stereotypes, they only get critical when I do it. I enjoy this this quote. Right, I like yeah. this quote. Woody Allen has been having fun with his culture for years, and no one says anything about it. Who Mark they Scorsese, also they did it. They did a Woody Allen uh, sketch on that uh-huh. show, and nobody was talking about how he's a fucking weirdo <laughs> creep, except for Living Color. Uh, Martin Scorsese, his films basically deal with the Italian community, and no one ever says anything to him. John Hughes, all of his films parody upscale white suburban life. Nobody says anything to him. When I do it, then all of a sudden it becomes a racial issue. You know what I mean? It's my, you know what I mean? It's my culture, and I'm entitled to poke fun at the stereotypes that I didn't create in the first place. I don't even concern myself with that type of criticism because it's racist in itself. So, uh, yeah, I think that pretty much lays yeah. that down the gauntlet in terms of what they were doing. And honestly, I was af- slightly afraid to go back to In Living Color sketches, uh, worried I would see that it super didn't hold up in all these ways. And I was pretty surprised at how it actually, for the most part, pretty yeah, okay. Yeah, I'd say there's like one out of 15 or 20 there's that are just like, oh, no, that no, are, no. Yes. Sure. But most of them are, are really funny still. I was cracking up watching them. Yeah, I, I think it held up a lot better than I thought it would. And that's saying something, especially just for comedy in general, that's decades old. Mm-hmm. You know, like it's a lot of that stuff still hits. Let's talk about some of that stuff. Carrie's, yes. first, Carrie's first big hit on the show was, of course, Fire Marshal Fire Bill. Fire Marshal Bell. And initially, let me die, let me die, let me die. Initially came from a sketch idea that never made it to air that I think is amazing called Make a Death Wish Foundation. About a, <laughs> quote Sorry. about a dead kid whose posthumous wish was to go to, <laughs> was an, to, amusement go to an amusement park. And that was the phase he was going to do for the kid. And <laughs> oh in the same God. breath, in talking about that sketch, he also said there was another sketch that was too insane to do that was about uh, an abortion rally ventriloquist that <laughs> also <laughs> didn't make it Unbelievable. to Unbelievable. Uh, Yeah, ridiculous. (sighs) Everything is changing so fast. I mean, back in my day, we were lucky if we could get one video to load. But now with the Xfinity 10G network, you can power a house full of devices at once with ultra low lag. The future starts now. Restrictions apply. Actual speeds vary and not guaranteed. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. With the Internet's best converting checkout, 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms, Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers. In fact, Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash podcast free. All lowercase, shopify.com slash podcast free, shopify.com slash podcast free. So, yeah, then you have Men on Films, which you already talked about with Damon Wayans and David Allen Greer playing the effeminate film critics in which they always interpret the films to have some kind of gay bent. Their catchphrase is, hated it, and two snaps up were also a big hit. Of course, everyone, mm-hmm. everyone was quoting that all the time. Greer said... I had already done Dreamgirls on Broadway, and being in a musical and working with other performers who were gay, I was privy to that vocabulary backstage. They were being themselves, so a lot of it was hijacked from what I heard in the theater and what was permeating around. Now, at that time, if a gay person was going to read you to tell you off, it was always accompanied by snaps. 
Now, I don't know if it was a gay thing, but it was also a very black thing. And so that's when David Allen Greer said in the 30th anniversary interview, he said, I feel like that was 1990. My personal politics, my knowledge of LGBTQ plus has has evolved since then. But I would say there was never any malice in the portrayal Mm -hmm. of these gay men, at least from my perspective at that time. Mm -hmm. But it was very much of its time. And then Keenan Ivory Wayne said, I think the sketch could be done today, but we have more information about gay culture so we can make it even funnier. The intent of the show was to include everybody. Everybody's going to laugh. So we did handicapped characters. It was all inclusive, so we offended every aspect of black culture. You can only be as good as the time period that you live in with the information that you have. So that's what we tried to do. We wanted everybody to say, that's messed up. But that's funny as hell, though. I mean, he's not wrong. No, I understand. And that, I, I think it's such a good quote of like, it was different then. Yes. And it wasn't intended in a malicious way. Right. Understanding. And people definitely can go back, especially now knowing what we know, and see it as such. But it wasn't intended in 1991 to do that. Right. And stuff that's being done now is not going to be intended to be something that's going to upset somebody in 20 years. So you just got to do the best you can. Right. And I be feel like good. You, if you're not upsetting somebody with your sketch comedy show, Tim, 20 years in the future then you're almost you're doing it wrong you weren't really edgy enough you weren't pushing the boundary at all (laughs) yeah Yeah. like whatsoever that really is what makes a lot of comedy exciting uh i think bigger than all of those at least back in the day homie d clown guys hugely popular that was so funny and this makes so much sense homie d clown was based on paul mooney who is the comic on the dave chabelle show in the sketches ask a black dude and negro damas he was a writer for richard Pryor, and damon wayne said paul mooney he was the angriest black man in the world. And he prided himself on that. Like he wouldn't even pitch ideas for sketches in front of white people because he wrote on In Living Color as well. And he'd say, not in front of the white people, homie. One-on-one, me and you. Keenan, and I'll tell you everything. Not in front of the white people. And he would say, homie, you know, homie this, homie that. Oh, homie, homie. Not in front of the white people, homie. So this guy, Sandy Frank, talking about writers and what Matt Wickline said, you know, this is funny. The clown who won't perform. So they wrote Homie to Clown, and I put the angry black man voice on Homie to Clown because I just thought it was appropriate, and the rest is history. And so, so the angry black man voice is one of his stand-up bits that he used to do that also is what partially got him SNL in the first place. I do love this too. Larry Wilmore, who now we know he had his own show, mm-hmm. Comedy Central. He was a writer for In Living Color at the time. He said, we had black characters doing things that were from our point of view, not white writers having one black actor or character represent all black people. Homie to Clown, at his heart, he's not only a black guy, which he might have been on another show, he's a guy that hates being a clown and will make kids <laughs> pay for that. Again, this goes back to the idea where we like in so many shows that they have a token black character mm-hmm. be the black character. Right. This isn't even about him necessarily being black. Right. Mm-hmm. It's a funny character. Homie, don't play that. Homie, don't, Homie play, don't that. play that. Benita Boutrell was Kim Wayans' neighborhood gossip character that made big waves. I love this character. Oh yeah, I she was love great. Love her. Yeah. Those and those are the sketches that I didn't think were funny back then that now in watching it 
so funny. It is just her monologuing out of a window. And you know this person. It's great. Yeah. You a yeah. thousand I knew like especially in New York, you know this person. Yeah. My favorite part is the part where she she's just like you know, uh, just stay away from all those gossips and all the t- people in this neighborhood that are all gossipy all the time. You know, stick with me. And then, like, <laughs> I no didn't gossip. tell you that, though. You know, it's like everything. <laughs> you but didn't I didn't tell you that. You yeah, didn't hear that so from me. Funny. It's so funny. It's like the, just the hypocrisy of gossips always. And so coming great. from a huge goss, I totally, totally <laughs> know that. Uh, you also have my favorite character from In Living Color, by far, with a bullet. I don't know why. I just thought he was so hysterical. Calhoun Tubbs, the David Allen Greer uh, blues singer that he did, uh, who would do 10-second songs sporadically, and he'd always start it with, like, to hear it, here it go. And, like, and yeah, there was just something go. about the repetition and the song itself was, like, I probably, again, probably didn't get half of the jokes that were actually in the song, but just the sheer repetition and just bizarreness of that character was so funny to me so that funny. it just didn't matter. I just was rolling yeah. on the floor laughing about that guy. Like, here, here I go. <laughs> <laughs> so great. And rewatching his that Calhoun Tub stuff was so funny. There's so many other ones um, for sure. To, that we could talk about too. It's hard to find full episodes. I watch a lot mm-hmm. of compilations. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. Maybe that they are going to be. I feel like this happens every time. It's like, oh, they're all going to be put on this streaming service right. where you can't find them somewhere. You can probably right. get the DVDs somewhere. Probably yes. sure. Yeah. But yeah, uh, Jim Carrey's like crazy um, workout. Lady character that was like on steroids. Vera DeMilo. Uh, you know, they, there's just so many different. I feel like Vera DeMilo might be a, an issue. Yeah, yeah, there's, yeah. Some, there's definitely some character. Yes, there are some characters that are. But a lot of, too, again, going back to what you were talking about with Homie the Clown, like even that prob- problematic character, a lot of it was about Jim Carrey just doing weird, like, Bizarre uh, physicality comedy. Yeah. And, yes. And oh, definitely. Yes. It sort sure. of had nothing to do with the, the thing that they were making fun of. Also, the homeless man, I believe it was that oh, Damon yeah. Wayne. <laughs> the one where guy. he eats the poop out yeah. of the jar. <laughs> All that stuff. So, yeah, just so many characters that were memorable from the show, but I think those are the biggest standouts. Uh, so, yeah, let's talk about it. The censors pushing back on the show, which would, of course, lead essentially to its demise uh, and Fox taking advantage of the show uh, in general. Uh, yeah, so uh, there's this weird push and pull. They wanted to be this super edgy thing on TV, but they also didn't want to offend the advertisers and all this kind of stuff. Fox President Well, it's because Peter they Sherman, couldn't. You know, they yeah. knew how delicately they had to dance the dance to make sure that the show could stay on the air. And it's not a fun secret boy dance. This is a big mean oh, man dance. It's a mean man dance. Mm-hmm. It's a money, it's a money bag dance. There's no mayonnaise involved. They shake the money and they shake the money. They no. Do. There's no mayonnaise involved. There's no tiny little sticks involved. None no, of the fun No, and there's no commie cum involved. <laughs> Fox president Peter Turnin said the show, quote, pushed further than any other show ever had in the history of the network. And the writers had a tough time at points getting stuff over with the censors, of course. They would even actually intentionally submit over-the-top offensive sketches they knew would get cut and would get this huge reaction from the censors just to distract them from the other stuff that they I were mean, actually that's trying to get the on the That's so smart. You gotta do it that way. It's yeah. so smart. Here's another trick they used, according to David Allen Greer. For the Headleys, the Jamaican characters they did, we put in all these profane Jamaican curse words. White people didn't know what we were saying. So... <laughs> 
Got <laughs> just slipping love past it. the goalie. Wayne said, I didn't have, uh, Keenan Ivory Wayne said, I didn't have an antagonistic relationships with the sensors. I wasn't irrational. I knew there were restrictions. It was more about how far can I go? Like, just tell me where the line is. The frustration was that the line was moved week to week. So you could do something one week, but if they got mail, you couldn't do it the next. We were constantly in that dance. Churn, as you you called it, a dance as well, not an again a mean Ooh. man dance, not no, a it's fun. A, yeah, no, it's money bags dance. So the censors would get nervous, and I think that they would create new phrases that they would all start laughing at, and the censors would assume that it was something that it was bad that they didn't oh, know see. what it so was. So they created and like fake say, slurs. You can't say something like Kayak City, because he was saying Kayak City in a sketch, and he said, you can't say Kayak City, because that's what we had, and everybody was laughing. We say, no? Well, can we say toss your salad? He goes, yeah, that's fine. <laughs> the cast also remembers using Jamaican curse words in the Hey Mon sketches. By the time the Jamaican viewers wrote in, we'd already done three or four sketches, <laughs> David Allen Greer says. We had already won by that point. No Google back then, nope. censors. I will say, according to Urban Dictionary, Kayak City is the act of having sex in the pool during which one partner must be underwater at all times, though they may alternate. Oh! I, I don't... I think that that is not true. Who knows, I, uh, I think just people making stuff up out there, but either way. Uh, so, yeah, Chernin also admits he, quote, wanted the show to be as outrageous as possible. And one instance was definitely the live episode they did during the Super Bowl halftime that was quite racy, including a minute on football sketch that was wall-to-wall sexual innuendos. We Wins have said, to talk about this Super Bowl halftime it's show. It's so good. And I do, again, I remember running upstairs to watch it in secret. It but was so But do you so remember exciting. why they were able to do this? So the su- we're talking about the 1992 Super Bowl. What they did, they knew going into it what they were going to do. There was a live episode of In Living Color at the same time that the beginning of the halftime show started. But also, this changed the game not only for In Living Color, but also the NFL as well. So your watch, they knew that they were going to have, this is back in the day when there wasn't big stars on the halftime show. And they knew that everybody hated the halftime show. So... Imagine you're watching the Super Bowl, right? And the winter magic spectacular <laughs> halftime show begins. You're hammered, you're screaming, and then Olympic figure skaters Dorothy Hamill and Brian Boitano skate atop oversized plastic snowflakes in the middle of the field. So Women dumb. costumed as snowflakes paraded beside them. But they also couldn't bring in any ice. So they weren't even skating. Gloria Estefan comes on to perform a winterized rendition of Live for loving you and get on your feet and wouldn't you change the channel to almost anything else now Keenan Ivory Waynes knew this he said there was an ad exec at Frito-Lay and he's the one who came up with the idea of counter-programming against the Super Bowl because Frito-Lay sponsored the In Living Color halftime show. <laughs> we brainstormed and decided that we'd do it as a live version of the show. We wanted to put up a countdown clock on the screen so that people would know when to go back to the game. I was very confident that we would steal the show. It was such a perfect opportunity because halftime was when everybody went to pee. So Tommy Davis said, Keenan says, all right, Jamie, you're doing this. Jim Carrey, I pick you to do this. David, I got you doing this. Then he said, Tommy, I got you hosting because you can handle live. I was like, oh my God, I thought you ain't like me. And I'm like, Michael Jordan, all you gotta do is give me the ball. <laughs> Takia Crystal Kima said, the creative chaos was normal at In Living Color, so going live 
We just rolled with it. For most of us, it was our first series. It was my introduction to television. I thought everybody knew their censors by name. So essentially, <laughs> then Jamie Kellner, the president of Fox, said Keenan and his team wrote a very funny episode that pushed the edge about as far as it could go and not get us in trouble. I sat in the control room with the head of standards and practices for Fox to ride the edit button in case an ad lib crossed the line. The plan was I would tap his shoulder if I wanted an edit. We both started laughing and missed two edits. But this is the reason why in 1993, the NFL got Michael Jackson to be the halftime performer. Isn't that insane? Even Keaton Ivory Wayne said, this little ragtag crew did something that changed a huge event. We made history. That's hilarious. That's crazy. Isn't that insane? I I don't remember a uneventful halftime special. You know what I mean? Like, it's so crazy. To, they got 28.9 million live viewers. <laughs> That's incredible. That's it incredible. Is why, like, why, why would they not think to put something interesting in the middle of it? <laughs> because so... nobody ever cared. It's like what the women, quote unquote, wanted to see. Like even Ew. back in 1992. Yeah, Ugh. totally. It's like, let, let the prancers prance for the lady. They weren't viewers. even skating. <laughs> <laughs> so let's, all good things must come to an end. Let's get into it. The departure started happening after season four. Tensions seem to start between Oh, I'm sorry. Keenan. Actually, before we get into this, I just mm-hmm. want to say real quick, it's insane how much In Living Color helped bring hip-hop into mainstream television. So we know that Heavy D and the Boys did the theme song. We also had, you know, DJ Sean Wayans in there as well. And hip-hop at this time was still a growing culture, far from being accepted by mainstream audiences. But In Living Color helped to crystallize the music and aesthetic. Nowhere else could you find Jim Carrey performing a knee-slapping remix of Vanilla Ice's Ice Ice Baby. Mm-hmm. Elsewhere, the funny man satirized white reggae artist Snow's number one record, Informer. Imposter. Or Jamie Foxx <laughs> Fox poking fun at Sir Mix-a-Lot's classic song, Baby Got Back. So in season two... Musical guests started becoming a regular thing, and it all started with Queen Latifah. If you were cool in hip-hop, you were on and living color. Public Enemy, Naughty by Nature, Redman, MC Light, Easy e and too many others to mention all made appearances. As with SNL, some artists, including Tupac and En Vogue, were roped into doing sketches, <laughs> but in living color's close relationship with music meant their musical parodies were some of the show's oh, finest they're my favorite. film. It's, it, because it, 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 music was such a big part of the show and for the first time hip-hop was on a mainstream television i when i was re-watching these i remembered a lot of the lyrics as they the songs were playing i was able to sing along and this is why i failed math every time i tried That's to do it why because I failed there was math. no room left in my brain because i put it, all these things in there yes i understand worth it yep so all good things must come to an end, including yes. this podcast episode. But before we do that, we must talk about the end of In Living Color. The departure started happening after season four. Tensions seemed to start between Keenan and his family and the rest of the team was one of the issues. Writer Larry Wilmore used to call him Murphy Brown because he showed up with a new assistant every week. Uh, it's a dated reference. Yeah, very dated <laughs> reference. Very much puts you in the time and place of the show. Writer and producer Les Firestein said, it was difficult. It was a difficult workplace for a lot of people. 
One of the reasons for that is that you had this very tight-knit family that was at the center of everything, and the rest of us were not necessarily part of that. If you weren't a Wayans, you definitely had dues to pay. Keenan ends up making a surprise exit from the show in the middle of the season, citing Fox as the reason for its devaluing of the show, and we will get into why. But also what sucks is as a showrunner, Keenan Ivory Wayans leaves, and he's replaced by three showrunners, two white and one black. Yeah. yeah. So I mean, already it is starting to, it's like, that's not the voice that they yeah. want Well, yeah, at the head and they, they bring on way more white characters yep. in the last season. Yeah. Wayans goes, well, Keenan Ivory Wayans goes, I keep saying Wayans, but there's 10 of them, so I'm trying. <laughs> I know. I was looking at Wayans so much this week, it started to become one of those words that didn't mean anything <laughs> yes. after a while. Right, right. Wayans. Keenan said, this is a shell of a company making desperate moves. They're collapsing, and they don't care who they offend or what shows they ruin. He goes ham on Fox around this he time. He gets very mad at Fox. There seems to be two things happening here. Wayans is struggling under Fox's wish to be both controversial but appeasing to the advertisers, while others blame Keenan Ivory Wayans for being too difficult to work with. And the real nail in the coffin was Fox's wish to do reruns of In Living Color in place of a show that was dropped uh, from the network before In Living Color was actually in syndication, just one year shy, which was this massive financial disaster because as, for Keenan Ivory Wayans. Television shows in syndication is when you make even more money because yeah. it'll just be on, and you're just making money for the work you've already done. So the way that they were editing it and the way that they were ripping it apart meant that that's just taking money out of the Waynes's pockets. Yeah. Can every Wayne said, "I was so stunned. I kept saying, 'You're joking. You're joking.' They were so sneaky about it. Then they said that they were only going to show reruns from the first season, but they're not even doing that. They're editing shows from all different seasons. I was supposed to have that control, and even that was usurped. The years I put into the show were being robbed from me. The problems with the cast at that time were also growing as well, with Tommy Davidson being checked into rehab, which I do not... Uh, uh, blame him for because of his insanely difficult childhood yes. and everything. Of course, uh, that would be the sort of thing that might happen to a guy like that. And the rumors that David Allen Greer, Jim Carrey, and Kim Wayans were threatening to walk unless their pay increased. Well, and also, I don't, I mean, I wonder how much it has to do with it that apparently Jim Carrey is cited as being the quote unquote reason for the show's eventual cancellation because it was assumed he'd be too expensive to keep on and he was essentially the last superstar to stay with the show through the fifth season. Now that is all conjecture. I mean, Jamie Foxx was still on it too. But at the time, I think that he Jim Carrey's yeah. like... So he, was, he was skyrocketing. What year was the last? Do you know what year season five came out? Ninety four. That is the year where he ninety four was when he had Ace Ventura, The, the Mask, yes. and Dumb and Dumber all come all in out. one year. Yeah, Carrie said, I was contracted for five years. I could have weaseled out, but I wanted to stick with it. Things were happening for me. I spent nights in my office with Steve Odekirk writing the Ace Ventura Pet Detective strip script. We'd stay up until four in the morning, and David Allen Greer used to rub it in during tapings. He'd go out to the audience and say, I don't know if you people realize it, but Jim Carrey is about to jump off in a movie called Ace Ventura Pet Detective. He meant it facetiously. He was making fun of me for the silly name of my <laughs> <laughs> I was reading parts of this great book called Color by Fox, which is a book about the Fox Network and the revolution of black television by Crystal Brent Zook. And I think it explains a lot of what is happening at this point in time, that essentially Fox aired 
in living color when it did because it needed to. He wanted it wanted to distinguish it from the more traditional networks. So by the time in living color was in its fifth season, things had changed dramatically at the network. Mm-hmm. The executives who'd ushered in in living color, The Simpsons, and Married with Children had mostly moved on to other networks. And Rupert Murdoch began taking a much more hands-on approach to his network. He wasn't satisfied with getting niche ratings and wanted to turn Fox into a juggernaut that could compete with CBS, NBC, and ABC. And she even says it's an identifiable pattern. Mm -hmm. A young network can make its name with black programming, but when it's ready to shoot for higher ad dollars, black shows are disappeared quickly. One executive is quoted saying, there was no outward racism, but... Rupert wanted to broaden the advertiser base. It's once again riding on racism. Yes, riding on the backs of talented black people. Yes, and using them and not and then also the fact that they don't make the money that they deserve Mm -hmm. after the show is canceled. Firestein said, I believe there was an ethnic cleansing at Fox. They were trying to become more mainstream. They started canceling African-American-centric shows like South Central and Rock. Do you guys remember Rock? I loved Rock. Yes! Rock's great. And uh, mm-hmm. going back to uh, Keenan Ivory Waynes, I had, a, I had a, one last quote from him uh, about walking off of the show. Right before he walks off from the show, he literally holds a finished show tape hostage, hiding it in the ceiling panels above his office. He, a few <laughs> days later, he leaves for good. Like, he is just, it's, it was like a, a real war going on. Damon and Marlon both left because they didn't have contractual ob- obligations, but Sean and Kim, they had to work, they, they were trying to get out of theirs, but they had to stay on for the final season. Wayne said it was, Absolutely, Keenan Ivory Wayans said, it was absolutely the most difficult thing I've ever had to do, but I had to. I couldn't condone what they did and how they did it. No one wanted me to leave, but I couldn't continue in good conscience. I couldn't give them a show that was a certain quality and not have them return that quality. Also, speaking of that kind of way, so Sean and Kim Waynes weren't allowed to leave when Keenan Ivory Waynes left because they they were under contract. So they said, so they and other cast members expressed their displeasure with the situation by wearing black shades and not participating in Jamie Foxx's Christmas number at the end of the first episode of the fifth season following Keenan's departure. I didn't Mm. even think, I don't remember them being in the opening credits i i think that i just when i rewatched the fifth season's um intro there wasn't mm. a single weigh-ins in the credit oh, they wow. cha- they changed the whole beginning because they put in almost not om- not entirely but a good amount of a brand new cast yeah and also i did love this line that damon wayne said when he was on david letterman in living color was like kentucky fried chicken they got rid of the colonel. He took the seven spices with them, and now they're just frying chicken about the last <laughs> season, which a lot of people say is definitely nowhere near as good as the other yeah. seasons. Yeah, for sure. And I'd forgotten was, about it. I'd forgotten yeah. about it until I was watching the, the credits, and then I was like, oh, I remember that guy, kind of. <laughs> and kind that of, lady. Sort of. Yeah. The, there was an attempt at a revival back in 2012. Uh, uh, pilot episodes were made, produced by Keenan Ivory Waynes. They brought in a new group of Fly Girls and a new cast, including our good friend Jermaine Fowler. Uh, you also have uh, Jennifer Bartels, uh, Lil Rel, and all from Kevin's sketch comedy show, Friends of the People, among yeah. others. They would go on to do Kevin Barnett's uh, Friends of the People sketch comedy show. Uh, Rip Bird Luger. The show's cancellation was confirmed, however, in 2013, as Wayne and Fox felt. It wouldn't be sustainable. 
And they did said Keenan Ivory Wayne said that the reason for the cancellation was because he doesn't believe a full season's worth of quality material was possible. However, a comedian who was set to become one of the new cast members said that Damon Wayne's changed his mind and decided not to come back, which led to the shutdown of the reboot, which is also kind of fine because I think that a lot of the Wayne's siblings didn't want to do a reboot. They wanted it to be kept the way that it was. Yeah, it, it was be. a moment in time. And I do enjoy this quote from Keenan Ivory Waynes when asked, what is your legacy in the entertainment industry? He says, my legacy is my family, showing the world what one family can achieve together. We came from extremely humble beginnings, from the projects of New York to Hollywood, together, still loving each other and still working together. I don't think I could achieve anything greater than that. It's, I mean, it's astounding what the family has accomplished and continues to accomplish. And we will definitely go into further because I want to get into the scary movies i want to get they're still making them i just saw there's one that came out last year on netflix called sex tuplets where i forget who sean wayans one of them plays all six sex (laughs) tuplets um but then yeah like a lot of their kids have now developed careers in hollywood too like damon waynes jr is in all kinds of shit he was on the new girl Mm -hmm. and he's adorable and he looks exactly like his dad and he's really funny (laughs) <laughs> yeah, it definitely makes my secret pants Uh-oh. dance a little bit moister. Get your bonnet Hi. on. Ooh. Hi, it's me, Mr. Friendly Secrets Boy. I cannot wait to drown you with my toys. Ooh. <laughs> I can't believe season six didn't make it on with that. <laughs> oh, I know. Secret Boy would have been a huge hit. Unbelievable. Well, either way, thank you so much, everybody, for joining us for In Living Color, the episode on pop history. Check us out on Patreon, patreon.com forward slash page seven podcast. Check me out. Twitch.tv forward slash Holdenators Ho. Jackie and I, we get wacky right on Friday we night. We do every Friday night. If you guys could, 6 p.m. ET, and if you guys could also make your plugs rhyme, I would really appreciate it. Uh, go fuck yourself, Holden. My name is <laughs> yeah! Natalie. Wow. Uh, you can find me at the Natalie That's Jean. an interesting and, rhyme. <laughs> and uh, we're at that page 7 rhyme. LPN and uh, on the, all the stuff. And go ahead, Jackie. My name is Jackie. I'm pretty wacky. And you can find me uh, uh, on Instagram if at Jack that worm. This is Jack that worm. Thank you guys so much for joining us this week uh, for learning about in living color. We will be back next week. We love you. We kiss you. We miss you. Bye. You can do what you wanna do, do in living color. This show is made possible by listeners like you. Thanks to our ad sponsors, you can support our shows by supporting them. For more shows like the one you just listened to, go to lastpodcastnetwork.com. Everything is changing so fast. I mean, back in my day, we were lucky if we could get one video to load. But now with the Xfinity 10G network, you can power a house full of devices at once with ultra-low lag. The future starts now. Restrictions apply. Actual speeds vary and not guaranteed.